What up? This is episode 67 of Dart Against Humanity. So uh, last night was the Boston Music Awards. I actually uh, did a presentation. I discussed um, what the Boston Music Awards mean to the people in the crowd, the participants, the nominees. And I told the story about Bobby Brown, of course. Uh, the first Boston Music Awards was in 1987. Quick background. Uh, Bobby Brown won uh Best R&B vocalist, and he also won for R&B album of the year, which was his album debut album, King of Stage. Uh, he performed. He did his number one R&B single, Girlfriend. The crowd wasn't super enthusiastic about it, and he noticed that because again, the night was rock heavy, and the night belonged to Till Tuesday and Amy Mann. So you can actually find it on YouTube. That's also a young free Marie in the video. So, dancing with him. When he says, I need, you know, I, I need a girl on stage to dance with me. That's Marie uh, Free. So, after the performance is over, I told the story that, you know, he goes back, like, gets his everything together, uh, works on his next album all throughout 1988, puts it out June, um, the 87 through 88, puts it out June 1988 with New Edition, then the 1989 Boston Music Awards come around and he sweeps all the major categories, like all of them. And I told the crowd that the reason why it meant so much to him, even though he was the biggest star. I didn't say this line. I, should, I actually had it in my head. I didn't say it. He was the biggest star in the world, not named Michael Jackson or Prince at the time. But it meant more to him to have that recognition and those accolades and that crowd cheering for him at home in his backyard in front of his people. Because you can get all the love you want worldwide, overseas, globally, internationally, <clears throat> in other parts of the country. When you're recognized in your own home, in your backyard, where you were born and raised, that's something that people dream of. Some people don't love where they're from. Some people hate it. Some people can't wait to leave. I'm not one of those people. And a lot of cats from Boston aren't those people. There's nothing that they crave more than to be able to go anywhere in the heart of Boston, South End, Lower Roxbury, Roxbury, uh, Dorchester, Jamaica Plain, Mattapan, uh, any, anywhere and be recognized and loved by home. There's no better feeling. I love the fact that I can walk through the streets, go through Chinatown, cut through downtown crossing, cut through uh, Boston Common, go through the uh, Boston uh, uh, Park or whatever, uh, walk down by the Charles River and people will stop me. And say, hey, uh, I bought your book or I love what you do or I've been reading you for years or I appreciate what you do for the city. And I appreciate I've been following you on Instagram. I appreciate you t putting up those uh, history lessons and everything else. I half the time I do things more than half the time. I forget. I just do it. It's, it's an impulse. It's just I'm on um, remote. It's automatic. I just do it. I don't think about it. So. I don't think about how it's affecting other people or 
that it's inspiring people. Some people like, yo, man, when you did this and this and this and this, it made me realize that how little I know about the neighborhood or the area I live in. So it's like I've been looking out stuff, looking out for stuff, bringing the kids around and like going to museums and shit. And I'm just like, because I posted something on Instagram and I it again is just something that I do. But the thing is, the fact the reason I'm even talking about this, is because it has I always want to spread this information because I got so much information and stories about my neighborhood and my area and my city about black and Latino Boston that I didn't hear or see anywhere else. And it was confusing when I got a certain age and I found out that nobody knew that black and Latino people in Boston even existed when from all the information I got, we pretty much started damn near everything or did it first or had it first. And I'm just like, how come nobody else knows this? And then I learned how systems work and how Boston is very bad at uplifting the voice of the non-white Bostonian. So instead of sitting around and crying and complaining about it, even fuck that, I did I did that, too. Um, What I also did, this is the different part, is I actually began to do something to combat it. So I started telling these stories and I started going out and doing it and being active, actively doing it. People like, dude, what are you doing this for? Like 15 years ago, why you tell everybody all the shit about Boston? I was like, because it has to be done. And they didn't understand why I was so serious about it. 15 years later, I guess we can see, you know, why it needed to be done. And I'm nowhere near finished. The reason I bring all this up is because, yes, I was at the Boston Music Awards last night. It was a great night. It was my first time there. Um, it was amazing to see because back in the days, the Boston Music Awards used to be like really rock centric and really super rock heavy. And it was uneven. But we got to see everybody on that stage. We got to see the wide diversity and, and power and strength and beauty of everything Boston music has to offer on the same stage and it was an amazing thing to see it was beautiful and i'm glad i got to experience it that way because again i'm somebody who's grown up with boston music my entire life in an era where (laughs) all the rock guys and all the rap guys would be in the same area because i live in the south end lower roxbury uh, so you have uh, Soundtrack Studios, which is on um, Columbus Ave back in the days, I think 162 Columbus. But you used to have Tough Track Studios. Their office used to be at 282 Columbus. I live on Columbus now. Um, you used to have uh, um, the Cars Studio that used to be on Newberry Street. You used to have um, <laughs> Ground Control, I think it was called, the offices. Maury Star used to have uh, New Kids on the Block. And Perfect Gentlemen and all the other guys, uh, uh, the superiors practice over there on Boylston Street. And but on the other side, used to have like the Pixies and all these other bands used to like perform, used to either record at uh, soundtrack studios or they used to prefer um, Boston Recorders, which is in the Cyclorama, which is further down on. Is that Tremont? I think that's Tremont. So in this building called the Cyclorama. So and then like Gangstar Posse used to record in downtown recorders. So like everybody was around and you have Berkeley College of Music right there. So if you were going to gig or you were going to session and you were going to practice, 
there were only certain places you could go. So everybody was always in the same area. So you'd you'd be seeing the Pixies. You'd be seeing like Till Tuesday. You'd be seeing New Man. You know, kids. You'd be hearing Mission of Burma out of out of a window walking down one street, and next street you're hearing um TDS Mob or RSO. You know, or you'd be hearing like a gangstar song and then you turn the next block and, you know, like you'd be hearing like uh, the Del Fuegos or some shit. So it was a really interesting time or face to face. It was a really interesting time for Vasco da Gama, uh, Ball and Pivot. I'm just naming old Boston bands. Uh, John Butcher Axis. A lot of y'all like, what the hell are you talking about, Google? But it was just amazing to see everybody out together on the same stage, all representing all the different aspects of Boston. And one of the reasons why I was talking about history and legacy and telling these stories is because just recently, well, to technically today, well, yesterday, um, one of the most influential people in hip hop culture passed away. His name is Phase Two. I don't like saying was, so I'll just say is because he just looms so large that I feel like he's going to live in a sense forever. Uh, Phase Two, pioneer in uh, graffiti art. He was a b boy. He's an MC. Um, he was around in the Bronx at the earliest beginnings. Of the culture and by the culture I mean hip-hop culture I don't mean the rap music industry I don't mean the rap music business I don't mean hip-hop fashion I don't mean the the rap industrial complex and I'm using air quotes I'm talking hip-hop culture the thing which was commoditized into the thing that people call hip-hop now okay Um, He was a pioneer in um, graffiti, aerosol art. He uh, created style evolutions in terms of um, letters, the bubble letter, uh, clouds, bubble clouds, uh, deconstruction of, uh, of letters and graffiti. Things that people saw and took in another level, he would evolve he started doing flyers. He was active in the clubs. He was active in the club scene, promoting shows, um, doing organizing. When uh, the first tours went to Europe and overseas, uh, showcasing the culture of hip hop, Phase Two was on those tours. Uh, the New York Hip Hop Tour, I believe, a uh, cool, uh, cool lady, Rosa Blue. Uh, went on both of the, uh, both of those tours. Were they two or two extended tours? They had uh, two legs each. Some shit. Somebody needs to break that down. Uh, but those were instrumental in spreading the culture internationally. So there are a lot of people to talk now, like, oh, look at what these people are doing with hip hop. It's like you're aware that that shit was spread on purpose and was brought to those people in the '80s by people of the culture. You're aware of that, right? And I, it just bothers me that people don't know this. Like, of all the things that you should know, you know, I, 
God forbid you actually know about the culture that you claim to love and be a part of. Anyway, so phase two, uh, he is one of like the advocates of hip hop. Like if someone says something that was off or ahistorical or not correct in terms of uh, the progression of the Zulu nation, uh, who did what first in graffiti, what crews evolved out of what crews, who was a member of what crew back in the days. And a lot of this happened later, like going into like the 90s when people were actually aware that we should be documenting the culture and anybody would just jump in and say some shit that happened. And he would be the first person to write into that magazine and that and that and that column and be like, actually, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is that person was part of this crew. This crew evolved from these people. That crew stopped at this point. Then these people started up the crew and they went to this person for permission to continue the line and the name. It was they were given the blessing. And then this person added on. So that was something that phase two was always um, good for. And um, later on, I believe he started working with a stress magazine, Ket, Ket's magazine, uh, stress, probably my um, favorite hip hop magazine of that era above, like just above like Mass Appeal and On The Go and those um, and uh, Insomniac and a couple of others. Stress was easily my favorite um but he was involved there because you always had like um the graffiti writers had their sections and then they would do a profile on a graffiti writer graffiti writer in their entire career there was this one incident where i believe fuzz (laughs) was talking about how he got kicked out of a crew he wouldn't be allowed in or something and he said it was he thought it was because he was white and then, like, the next issue, phase two, Hobson is like, that's not what happened. And he broke down the entire situation. I was just like, yo, it's dope to have phase two in your back pocket, like, hey, yo. And then, again, if you go through the history of hip-hop and you see a lot of bunch of the flyers, you have Buddy Esquire and you have phase two. Like, them, those flyers, my goodness. And the other thing is that um, I did a, I actually did one of these, and I actually wrote an article too, on uh, OK Player. It, it might appear in a later book um, about Beach Street. And Phase 2 was one of the early consultants of Beach Street. But they completely fucked up the history. And they just like condensed it. And truncated it. And I feel like he was just like, oh, this is what y'all going to do with it. Jesus Christ, Hollywood. You know, this is a burner. This is a phase two. It was like, wait, what? Did he just call that a phase two? And he didn't break down that the it was the letter style or the drips and the bubble or this. But actually, that isn't even what he does because phase two used actual spray paint and this looks like it was painted it's too glossy like what is this shit so yeah so phase two was like uh, was one of the 
people that like upheld the tenets and the history of the culture. Like he was one of the people that kept everybody honest and and on their toes and kept everything on the up and up. And it's sad that I'm at an age where those pioneers are passing away. Because I'm not 100% sure how old he is. If he was a teenager in the early 70s. You know, if you're a teenager in the early 70s, then that means that you were born in the mid to late 50s. So you have to think that he was up there in age. It's almost, you know, 2020. He had to be in his 60s. It's like kind of heartbreaking because... Again, I tell people the reason why I go so hard is because I got a good 10 to 15 years left and I don't know what I'm going to be like. I don't know what my mind's going to be like. I don't know what my body's going to be like. So I need to get this all out now because I spent the first 44 years, actually maybe like the last 10, um, just floundering and trying to get there. Now I'm kind of there. Now I need this fucking door open. I need the hinges off. And I need to get all the furniture and everything in. So yeah, phase two, huge inspiration to me and uh, every anybody else who actually came up in the culture of hip hop. Not people that are rap fans. There's nothing that bothers me more. Well, not nothing. There's, there's other shit. But there's few things that annoy me more than when I see the same damn question. What did you hear that made you fall in love with hip hop? That's the wrong question. If your question is, what song did you hear that made you fall in love with rap music? Then ask that question. What made you fall in love with hip hop? shouldn't always be tied to a fucking song or a beat because there were b-boys there were graph writers there were djs the entire practice the art the culture everything about hip-hop and the craft of it is what drew us in. I, t- I had a I had a discussion, I had a talk with terminology um years ago, and I was telling them coming up, the very last thing any of us wanted to do was rap when we came up in hip-hop. Because rapping was at the end. You either wanted to be the DJ, you wanted to be a B-boy. You wanted to learn how to write and do art. And the thing we did, maybe we recited lines that the rapper said was because we were listening to the tape because of who the DJ was that night and who the crew was behind those DJs. 
and we would just say the lyrics, but the the lore wasn't the person on the tape rapping. The lore was the tape itself because it was hip hop from New York. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying this like you're standing in front of me. Um, so, like, if you watch Wild Style, Style Wars, they'll repeat the lyrics to, like, Rambles, he says, It was son of Sam with a 44, and he blowed a hole straight through my dough. He shot the shit. Yeah, he shot it in the eye. Never seen a white man jump so high. Like, you just recite the lyrics because it's, you've heard the tape so many times, or you've heard the lyrics so many times, that it's a reflex. It's not because I live to hear this person rap over all the other shit. No, it's part of it. So yeah, and I I wrote on Twitter uh just before I got on um started doing the podcast that if I don't see outlets doing tributes to Phase 2 tomorrow that claim that they love and revere and are a part of and respect hip hop culture. Ooh. Anyway. <sighs> Let's see. What else can I talk about? I want to try to do this. I'm trying to want to try to make this episode 45 minutes. I don't want to try to go over 50. I want to try to make this one short. But a funny thing that's happening on. Um, like real time social media and also like when I go out and people are having discussions is and this is weird, too, because the new Star Wars film Rises Skywalker isn't coming out until uh, December 20th. Right. Also, December 20th is also um, the Sean Price and um, and Lil Fame album, The Price of Fame. Just want to let you all know that um, let you know that. But uh, there's so much talk about it, and it's a it's got, it's a week off now. Yes, yeah, the 13th. So it's a week off, and there's so much talk about, it, and it has been for like the last week. So it's crazy because there are so many people that are jumping on this whole wave about the last movie was polarizing. So they're going to try to clean it up for the fans this time. I don't see it that way. I feel like, and I wrote this um, on Twitter, the second film of the first trilogy was my favorite by far. Um, Return of the Jedi is the third film. The second film was, you know, The Empire Strikes Back. The thing about The Empire Strikes Back is that it was gritty. It was somber. It was dark. The resistance of the rebels got their asses handed to them repeatedly. Luke caught an L. I think he lost. He loses his hand in that one, right? Yes. He's hanging off a thing. He gets saved. He's all cold and frozen. Got his ass whooped by uh, Darth Vader. The resistance is just beat up. Hans frozen in carbonite by Jabba the Hutt. Lando Calrissian fucking turned on his boy. Like everything went bad. It was like the Celtics in the fourth quarter versus the 76ers tonight. But 
The next film is the fan service film. It's the it's the it's the film that got the fans up and got people cheering. And the other thing is that I didn't realize it until later. But again, I was a kid at the time, too. So it's, it's, it's interesting Um, how fan friendly and kid friendly the third Star Wars film was. And I used to say that, um, well, I used to say, I still say it. Uh, it's, they turned Luke Skywalker into Bo Jackson, Tecmo Bowl Bo Jackson with a lightsaber. He had a new outfit, had a new haircut, had a new hand, and had all these new powers. And he was just mowing motherfuckers down. He had like the Super Mario Brothers invincibility star. To the point that they beat the Empire on a fucking small moon of Endor that was populated by fucking teddy bears. Three foot teddy bears, no energy weapons, no energy swords. And they lost. They lost. They got their asses handed to them. They got beat by trees and shrubs and sharp sticks. They had light speeders. They got beat by bears that couldn't even... Bears weren't even fast. These bears weren't fast. Bears are fast. These are tiny bears. Bears are huge. Bears bears will catch you and maul you. These motherfuckers wasn't mauling you. They might gnaw on your knee a little bit or get you, or nibble your ear or your neck or some shit. Man, you beat the shit out of these fucking Ewoks. I hate Ewoks. And then at the end, they win and they celebrate on indoor with these little fucking Ewok. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm getting mad just thinking about it. Oh, God. But the thing is that when I was a kid, I loved it. I loved I loved Return of the Jedi when I was a kid. When I turned into a teenager, my brother will tell you. I remember I was 13 or 14. My younger brother's three years younger than me. And we would watch these films watch him and watch him and watch him and then when we hit a certain age between i'm he's 11 i'm 14 15 he's 12 we started to see this movie in a completely different manner we're like yo well jabba jabba the hut man he just gets choked out he just dies they kill him all quick boba fett goes out like a hole man this shit is like luke just mowing these motherfuckers down he's doing flips and shit he do, 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 like he who was he working with with the force because before he was working with Yoda before did did he find a new trainer like Jesus Christ and the thing is that Han Solo I can't see where's Boba Boba where is he he hits him he shoots him he hits him and then people was like because he was force sensitive he was one with the force the force guided him and then Boba Fett goes out and he's like there's a burp and like yo man come on as badass as Boba Fett was supposed to be, that's how he dies. Come on, dog, this is trash. And then they go to the fucking the the, the moon indoor, and like, all right, who's gonna help us defeat these evil overlords who are rolling with um Darth Vader, the worst motherfucker in history, the dude who killed all the Jedi, all the Jedi, all the Jedi, and had one hiding. Obi-Wan Kenobi was hiding. He hid till he was gray. I, I know there are a lot of people that are like, oh God, you're leaving stuff out. This is, when I look at it, 
just just kind of how like I see it when I summarize. Then he kills him. Um, and then like someone's like, actually, what happened was shut up. Um, and then they go to Endor, and they lose in Endor. Like the fucking Bruins lost Game Seven on their own home ice. I know it hurts. I say it and it hurts me saying it. And when I say it out loud, other people are like, damn, man, why you got to bring that up? It happened. We all had to live through it. We saw the shit happen. <clears throat> it still hurts. I think I've said it still hurts twice because it still hurts. Like, God damn it. Anyway, I don't know what I do know. Um, the fucking um, loving Return of the Jedi, and then seeing it in a completely different light when you reach a certain age and you mature and your mind processes the world differently in your teenage years. What's funny is that my brother makes fun of me because I started to like Dune more. Now, for those of you to know, Dune was first released 35 years ago this month and it didn't do well. Was it released 35 years ago this month? Yes, I think it was. Or last, or late last month. Or maybe, the, yeah, I think it's December. It didn't do well. Jesus Christ, what was that? And it flopped. It flopped around the same time as the Cotton Club. So the Cotton Club came out, uh, American Zotrope. Everybody thought that was going to be like, this epic film's going to win all these awards. I think it got nominated for like Best Costuming, which is the like, the award that they give you for like, here we had to nominate you for something because you were too you you have you're too big a name to not get any nominations. Let's give you an idea of best costuming. Best costuming is the same award that they gave um, Harlem Nights. So if you make a black period film set in Harlem, chances are you got a good chance of getting a costuming award. Uh, or a nomination, my mistake, not an award, a nomination. But yeah, man, um, those two movies everybody thought was going to be big just didn't hit. But I started liking Dune more than the Star Wars trilogy. And if anybody's seen Dune, it's fucking weird. But here's the difference with Dune. Dune's weird and Dune isn't made for kids. Okay? There's nothing... A kid, there's nothing for kids in Dune. Well, that's Alia. But she killing people because she was born with all the power of a full-grown... Uh, oh, man. Um, yeah, so I didn't read Frank Herbert's books. When I did start, try to read them after the fact, um, Frank Herbert's writing style isn't... Um, uh, what's the best way I could describe it? Describe this. Um, it's not fun or easy to read it's you're reading and you're just like oh how how much do i have to be into this to like get through a ch of chapters it's weird because as a kid i read J.R.R. tolkien and i kind of flew through that shit like it didn't hinder me in any way shape or form like he's talking about the craggy rocks and 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 the fucking shire and all that but 
I was wondering, I was like, what is it about? Why wasn't I like, oh, Jesus Christ, because I was already playing D&D and I had seen all the fucking Rankin Bass cartoons. So I had a vision of what he was talking about in my head. Had I not had those points of reference and I tried to read those books, it would have been a different matter entirely. Even though I'd seen the film Dune, reading Frank Herbert's uh, writing after the fact, it didn't make me instantly think of the film I saw Dune. It made me think of some other shit, which when other people interpret Frank Herbert's books, they don't look like the Dune I saw. If that makes any sense. And also it brings me back to um, everybody thinking that they're trying to pare this film down to appeal to people more. Well, I mean, it's the last film of a trilogy. So what you do is you have to tie up loose ends and you have to make an ending that changes things because you can leave things open ended in the second film. But now you have to give people answers and the answers have to be satisfying, whatever that means to the audience, whatever audience you're trying to satisfy. And that's another thing. Which audience are they trying to satisfy? Because there are a lot of people who didn't like um, The Last Jedi who I'm like, eat a dick. And there's some people who bring up valid things about The Last Jedi they didn't like. And I'm like, eh, see, I that didn't bother me as much. So. There's a weird cross section of people who don't fuck with like who are just like uh, the last Jedi and some of them I can write off and some of them I'm like, hmm, hmm, like FWMJ. He's like the last Jedi wasn't good. And I'm like, I fucking enjoyed the last Jedi. But then again, I wasn't I'm not a big, huge Star Wars fan like that. I watched it as a kid. I read some of the novelizations. I was like, whatever, nigga. Um, and uh. The prequel trilogy, I thought was absolute trash. Like, my brothers and I used to watch the prequel trilogy to laugh. The younglings, Anakin. She said, the younglings. Why not? The younglings. Look at her face. Her bottom lip is quivering. Like, me. And I, when I saw um, We Saw Free, that dude, I was like, I'm good. Jar Jar Banks, I'm like, you know, this, yep. Fast forward to um, Ray Park. Ray Park is um, Darth Maul. And Darth Maul was probably like the best part of the movie. I didn't enjoy the little kid speeding Annie. I was like, I'm good with all this. And Amidala's going to start smashing him later. But I'm, this doesn't, no. I'm not digging this at all. I don't know. What? I never liked Anakin. And that's another thing too. I didn't care Anakin. Your Anakin was it Hayden Christensen, or Hayden Christensen is a dude that made fairy tales. Um, no, that's Hans Christian Anderson. Um, I just knew that I wasn't Geekwong Gen. I don't care. Mace Windu, yay. Young Yoda, killing people. Ugh. I will tell you that I love the cartoon, uh, the Clone Wars. Clone Wars, I was all, I was, I was all in for. I could watch the Clone Wars. That just lets you know that, like, I was like, yeah, I, I, the Clone Wars, I fucks with the Clone Wars. You can keep all this shit. 
all this or that keep it that entire prequel trilogy i don't just know Mm-mm. if you animate it throwing some extra people I, i'm good like i loved rogue one rogue one reminded me of robotech robotech was pretty much if you don't know i'll explain it quickly Ro- robotech humans get alien technology it lands on their planet. They reverse engineer it, make a ship out of it. It fires up. It attracts the aliens that are tracking it. They come to Earth, attack Earth, fuck Earth up. The Earth says, hey, y'all motherfuckers on that um, ship that attracted the aliens, leave. No, actually, that's not what happened. They, uh, while uh, fighting the aliens, they destroy a bunch of them. But at the same time, they fold and they fold out to space and they take part of the earth with them and they absorb that part of earth and they build a city within the ship, even though it's supposed to be the ship merged with the earth. So they're Macross city. But in reality, it was the ship was always Macross is Japanese American translation. Carl Masek, rest in peace. Um, but what happens is they try to make their way back to Earth, chased by these aliens. They call the Zentradi, warlike beings, uh, human clones, sixty feet tall. Uh, don't know anything about anything other than war, warmongering. Men and women live separately, and they're two separate armies. Um, so they get back to Earth, and when they get back to Earth, Earth is like, "Oh no, y'all brought them aliens. No, get the fuck out of here. Go, leave." They're like, what? Leave. Bounce. So they're in space fighting these aliens, fighting these aliens. And then what happens is the aliens attack Earth, completely fuck Earth up. Almost decimate it. Almost kill everybody. Years later, the Earth kind of recovers some. And people come back to the Earth. The land kind of comes back some. Earth heals a little bit. So Earth is healing for a while. And this other race of aliens come to Earth because the ship that left had this thing called the Flower of Life on it. And those spores hit the planet and the Envid, the other aliens, are like, yo, the Flower of Life is on Earth. So they go to Earth. They fuck Earth up. They fuck the rest of Earth up. They enslave the humans and just have them under their thumb. Now, what I ain't tell you is that during the first, between the first and second Robotech Wars, um, an expedition, pretty much 85% of Earth's forces leaves Earth to take this trip to the planet of the Robotech Masters, which were the second army that came and attacked Earth before the Invid came the third time. Um, yeah, Earth, Earth gets decimated three times. And they uh, <laughs> try to negotiate or fight the Robotech Masters. When they get there, they find out the Robotech Masters are already on Earth. Y'all got to go back. So they're like, oh, shit. So they've been to all these planets and they have all these, um, uh, what do you call it? Allies. So all their allies come back to Earth to wipe out the Envid. However, the, the resistance on Earth has already gotten rid of the Envid. So they come back to Earth and Earth's completely fucked up. Now, what does that have to do with Rogue One? 
Rogue One, they don't win. It's a suicide mission. And as you know, Star Wars is always kind of intended to be kid friendly. Like I didn't even realize as a kid that, oh, the droids or the Ewoks or these toys or the lunch boxes or, or, the, or the clothes. Oh, this is to get kids into Star Wars. It didn't hit me until I was older. I was like, oh, wait, they they put this corny trash in there for children to give you an idea what kind of kid I was. Um. I didn't like Goonies because I thought Goonies was was corny. Like kids like the Goonies, like fuck the Goonies, the Goonies is trash. I didn't want to see Ghostbusters. I wanted to go see um, uh, Once Upon a Time in America. My brother and sister were like, "We're not gonna go see that. We're gonna go see Ghostbusters." I'm like, "You can't see Once Upon a Time in America." My father used to make me watch A Man Called Horse. We used to watch Billy Jack. Okay. I saw Scarface when I was. Was I nine? Was I eight or nine? Eight going on nine. One. I saw it with my older brother who was six years older than me at the time. And my younger brother. It was me, my dad, his girlfriend, and us. We watched Scarface. Okay. To give you an idea what kind of kid I was. I was not watching, you know normal kid fare and being like, yes, this is what I fuck with. Yes, this is my thing. No. I saw uh, Escape from New York on Star TV preview along with The Man Who Saw Tomorrow back when I was in first grade. Was I in kindergarten first grade? I think it was first grade. And I think Superman, I saw Superman and then I saw uh, Superman 2 because they played them back to back. This is before cable. This is the days of pay TV. You had to pay and there was a, a transmission from the Prudential that sent uh, messages. I think I told you all about this before. And people scrambled the messages because it's Boston and you have MIT and Emerson and Whitworth uh, School of Technology <laughs> all in the same area. And you had a bunch of broadcast schools, Northeast broadcast schools. All around, so people were just kit bashing, uh, creating their own uh, signal receivers without paying for them, and that's how come the company went under because they picked the wrong damn city to do that in. Home box office was own separate thing back then. You could get home box office. It wasn't HBO. It was home box office, and it was a home box office. So you would see films at, in your home, and I remember a whole bunch of movies. Rody, um. There was this movie about uh, a company that made jeans and had the jeans on the ass and then they had the, the, the plastic so you could see through the jeans. I'm trying. I need to Google. I mean, need to go on IMDb and look up what that movie was called. Um, student Bodies. I remember that was like a big comedy, a big dirty comedy back in the days. Porky's My Tutor. This is how old I am. But anyways, um, how... I was supposed to be talking about Star Wars. Anyway, they're just a bunch of people up in arms because they think that they're trying to distance themselves from the second film when what it is is that it's a natural thing where you're going to complete a story, a well-known story, a beloved story that has a huge fan base and you just want to give them answers and maybe satiate a part of the fan base that's worth satiating. 
as opposed to trying to make everyone happy because you're not going to make everyone happy because you clearly didn't make everyone happy when you made a good movie for a change. So again, I liked The Force Awakens. I really liked The Last Jedi. I really like Rogue One. Really like Rogue One because everybody dies. It's just despair. And you know going in, everyone dies. And it's not for kids. And they released it, what, on Christmas? Dude, I was so happy I went to see that. I was like, everybody died. I was like, yo, that shit was fire. I was like, who brought kids to this? The kids just look all sad. I'm just like, man. It reminded me of um, when kids went to see, uh, not Endgame, the film before it. Uh, But they went to see that. And I was just like, yo, these kids are sad. Like, Spidey died. I was like, he'll be back. Calm your ass down. It's not like you saw um, Optimus Prime die on screen. Uh, Rawhide get blasted in the face. That was something different. That was... Transformers? That was some of the dumbest shit you could have done. Kids came to the movie holding their toys. Just to see them die on screen. Kids holding Ironhide... Crying. No. That was fire. I look back at that movie and I love it because Hasbro was just like, we're going to make different toys anyway. Kill all these motherfuckers. We got better designs coming out and they continue the cartoon. And I remember Ultra Magnus. Why am I talking about this? Ultra Magnus being mad that he wasn't leader. And, his, and then after the movie was over, he's salty the whole season of, that, of, the, of, the, of the cartoon. Watch it. Just watch Ultra Magnus be salty that Rodimus Prime is leader of the uh, Transformers. Why am I talking about this? See, this is the sign I need to quit this episode.